Let's open our Bibles to uh, Acts, book of Acts, chapter 1. <clears throat> Excuse me. We are in the middle of a sermon series. <clears throat> Boy, I'm tro- troubled up here. Uh, on the book of Acts, and we are today going to be studying Acts chapter 9. And, uh, but I wanted to remind us that next week, a- April 15th, we'll be starting um, going through, as a church, going through this book, Passport to the Land of Enough. And this is to teach us and inspire our hearts to prepare us for our annual special missions contribution. And we will be continuing to go through the book of Acts, but we will have a little sharing each week uh, from uh, what we're learning from the book and, and in, in some inspiration around that. So uh, each one in the, each uh, family in the church is, should, is getting a book. So if you haven't gotten one yet, um, we went through this more in detail Wednesday night. So if you haven't gotten one yet, please see me. I have just a few uh, left um, for our uh, teaching campaign, so to speak, starting next week. <clears throat> okay, today uh, we're continuing our series. Like I said, uh, our series is entitled Ordinary to Embolden, The Spirit's Power in Us. And today we're going to be looking at uh, the Apostle Paul's conversion. Now, I want to back up to Acts chapter 1, verse 8, because this really is an instrumental uh, trend, turning point uh, based on the thesis, really, of the book, which is here found here verse in chapter 1, verse 8. It says, but you will receive power <clears throat> when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of of the earth. So Jesus is saying that pretty soon uh, in Jerusalem, you're going to be clothed with power from on high. And that was the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that we saw in Acts chapter 2. And in Acts chapter 2 through really Acts chapter 6, we see the filling of Jerusalem with uh, the teachings of Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, verse 27, actually it talks about how uh, the the, pers- the uh, Pharisees are saying, you have filled Jerusalem with this man's teaching. Actually, they said they're determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. You know, that's one of the, the, what the Spirit does. The Spirit fills the church with power so they can go out and spread the word in their immediate context. Bless you, my friend. <laughs> Reward in heaven right there. That's what the Bible says, right? <clears throat> Props to Robert, though. He actually offered earlier if I needed anything. I wasn't quite in touch with my need at that moment, uh, but I am now, so thank you. Okay, um, so uh, we want to fill the city of Eau Claire with the teachings of the Word of God, amen? What would our city be like if, G- if it was just filled with Jesus? What would our school be like? What would our workplace be like? What would our neighborhood be like? Would it be better or worse? Of course, it would be amazingly uh, better. You know, my heart just breaks every time I open the local section. Not the international section, but the local section of the newspaper. And it's just headline after headline, plastered with this addiction and this sex abuse and this child molester and this robbery and crime. And, And in our own area, there was... 
a man stabbed 16 times. It's just so dark. The world is so dark, and yet we have it. We're so blessed here, amen? And yet we can forget how blessed we really are, and they become, therefore become unmotivated to take Jesus into our world. The world can look so good, but is it really? If you, it's a thin veil, and behind it is such a, 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 a desperate lives of quiet desperation. But, the, but they didn't just stop with filling Jerusalem. The gospel spread through the region of Judea and Samaria. I want to read here in Acts chapter 1, verse, a few verse, excuse me, Acts chapter 8, verse 1. It's, this is right after Stephen's death. It says, On that day a great persecution broke out against the church at Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. So there was a great scattering and so when the disciples were scattered, did they go into their cave in fear and timidity because now uh, the, there's a great persecution breaking out? Absolutely not. It says those, verse 4, who had been scattered, preached the word wherever they went. See, when the Spirit enters you, it gives you the courage, the boldness to say what needs to be said in any situation. So wherever they went, they preached the word. And then last week, we looked at some conversions of Simon the sorcerer and the Ethiopian eunuch. And then in verse 40, it says, Philip, whoever appeared at Azotus and traveled about, preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. Now, those who are great scholars amongst us, we look at the map. We should look at the map when these names are given of geography places, right? Because they're given for a reason. I'm kidding about the great scholars part. Actually, anyone can look at a map and see that the gospel isn't just being held in Jerusalem. It's spreading to this whole region of Judea and Samaria. Amen? And now, in Acts chapter 9 and Acts chapter 10, we're going to see two crucial conversions that will spread the gospel, the Spirit catapult the gospel to the ends of the earth. See, that they didn't believe in just the city of Jerusalem or even just their region. They said, we should have a global mindset. We should believe that if this message is true, it's true everywhere. Amen? And uh, uh, believe and think globally, not just locally. So here today, we're going to look at Saul's conversion. And then next week, if we get there, or, or I don't know, the Lord knows when, uh, we're going to look at Cornelius' conversion, which was the first Gentile conversion uh, in Christianity, okay? And then we see, actually, 11, uh, church in Antioch getting rolling, and 13, Paul is, Paul is sent out in the first missionary uh, journey, okay? But I want to talk about now conversion for a minute. So we're going to look today about Paul's conversion. What is conversion? One way to think about conversion is there's a new king in town. You know, if you're a Vikings fan, there, you know there's, there's a history of when Dennis Green became coach. And one of his sayings was, there's a new sheriff in town. Okay? Um, now, I know not all of you are Vikings fans, so you're just looking at me like, what's the point? Uh, the point is, is when we are converted, truly converted... It's not an instance where we just kind of believe. 
that Jesus exists. That's a part of conversion, but it's very scratching. The true conversion is that I take the old king of my life, get him off the throne, and there's a new king on the throne of my life, in the center of my life. So everything I do revolves around whom I'm worshiping. I, went from, I go from following the world to following Jesus. And conversion involves some foundational truths in principles that are very important. The reason they're important because these principles lay a foundation for our walk with God from conversion on. Does that make sense? Hebrews calls these first principles or foundational principles or elementary truths. Hebrews 6 says these things of faith, repentance, baptism, they lay a foundation for which the rest of our spiritual life is really built off of. Uh, Paul refers to the church, the individuals and the church's beginnings, their conversions, uh, their baptism, their repentance, their coming to faith. Romans, Colossians, Galatians, Peter talks about it. And 1 Peter, the book of Revelation, talks about it, the church in Ephesus to return to their first love. See, a, a, a healthy and full and true and complete conversion experience is foundational for the walk of God, your walk with God the rest of your life. Does that make sense? Because those same principles are the same principles to convert your heart over and over again, to, con to allow continual transformation. That's why the Bible puts so much emphasis on what it means to truly be converted. Amen? Now, unfortunately, the church in 21st century America doesn't like to really put much emphasis on that. So uh, the church I grew up in, I loved the church. Uh, it was very sincere, uh, helped instill in me seeds of the Word of God, sincere love for God. I don't think I would have the, uh, anything of a sincere heart or love or faith in God that I do if it weren't for the church, amen, as well as my family of origin. Yet, when it came to conversion, here's about how it went, okay? Do you want to go to hell? And I was seven years old. Do you want to go to hell? No. See, I was pretty smart. You want to go to hell? No. Well, do you believe in Jesus? Sure. Um, okay, well, let's say this prayer and invite him into your heart. And... You don't even need to say anything. I'll pray for you, okay? Now, this person that was sincere as all get out, that, I'm, I'm not trying to disparage. I'm just trying to say this is often our conversion experience. And so he said, you're good to go. You're not going to hell now. You're going to heaven. And, matter of fact, you can do nothing to ever lose this salvation because once you're saved, you're always saved. I was like, sweet, now I can go back to the sins that I always want to do. I didn't say that out loud, but that's sure how I lived. Are you with me there? And it produced in me for years a very shallow faith. And it produced, it started to produce because there was no understanding 
or conviction in my own heart of sin and repentance. I went on to be a slave to sin as well as other families. And there was severe addiction. There was broken families. There's broken churches. I think one of the biggest problems in the 21st century Christianity is in, when it comes to conversion, we have partial truths, partial conversions, partial Christianity, partial church, and therefore the, the influence of the church is mocked and ridiculed. And it's dying ever more so in society. The church is becoming so marginalized because largely it's a joke. I don't like saying that, but we've got to be honest. The world doesn't take the church seriously because in essence, a lot of times the church is just the world with some lipstick on it, some spiritual lipstick on Sunday morning to make us look good. But boy, once that amen is out, I'm out the door back to living the way the rest of the world lives. So one of the problems is have we really studied and understood true, full conversion in those principles involved. So as we look at this, we want to not just react to the world. We don't want to react to um, 21st century Christianity. We want to go back in principle to drawing out of the scriptures, what does it look like? What must it look like? Now, as we look at Paul, we're not going to expect to be blinded and the road to Damascus. I'm not talking about the practicals. I'm talking about the principles. Amen? The things that are timeless and true for our life today. So today I want us to examine our own conversions. Um, and I want us to examine... Uh, the truths of the first, for the, the things that were true for the first time, they're true every time, and we are always in need. I am in need. We're all always in need of deeper conversions, transformations in our hearts, in our lives. So we're going to read Acts chapter 9, 1 through 31, and I want to give us some hints. I want us to watch and listen for the, Saul's heart and how. Jesus converted his heart and along, listened for reverence, relationships, and responsibility. Okay? Reverence, relationships, responsibility. What happened to Saul? Okay, Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. Now, you got to understand that Saul was not a pagan. He was a religious leader. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He was a Jew. Okay? So now, he was a pagan, but he wasn't the kind of pagan like the Jews thought the Gentiles were the pagans. Okay? Um, I, I, well, some people refer to someone like Saul as the religious lost. That's the way I was. I was religious, but I was lost. And the religious lost, believe you me, can be way more lost than the pagan lost because the pagan lost, they know they're lost. And they're not trying to fool nobody. You with me? Uh, but the religious lost, they don't know they're lost. And it's even more torture, okay, which we see that Saul is under. 
So he's breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Let's stop right there. Let's talk about Saul for a little bit. Um, he's given approval to Stephen's death. Earlier it says he began to destroy the church. And here he's breathing out murderous threats. How's, how's Saul doing? Luke is very clear in painting Saul to not be a pleasant man. Are you all right? Listen to what Saul says in Acts 26 about how he's doing. So later on, this conversion is so important in the church, history of the church that it's, it's talked about three times in the book of Acts. One here in Acts chapter 9, and then later on by Saul himself in trials. We'll get to those later. But I do want to look in Acts 26 verse 9. This is where, how Paul says where he was at. He says, I too is convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus in Nazareth. Was Paul sincere? Absolutely sincere. And that is just what I did in Jerusalem on the authority of the chief priests. I put many of the saints in prison, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished, and I tried to force them to blaspheme. In my obsession against them, I even went to foreign cities to persecute them. So Saul is obsessed. He's fanatical. He's a raging, angry man. The, the, some of the images that the language represents is like a, a roaring beast in a vineyard. We'd call it like a bull in a china shop, so to speak. Um, and uh, John Calvin says in his commentary that Saul was like a wild and a ferocious beast. Fanatical, angry, murderous, okay? So going so far as to murder to think that he was honoring God. That's messed up. That's messed up. I can relate to being messed up before I was a disciple. <laughs> and, and even still, <laughs> Um, this is why we need to be reconverted uh, deeper and deeper. Okay, so Jesus now enters the scene. Saul, Saul. I love the, the uh, uh, I think God tries to get us our attention often by a gentle whisper. Eli. Okay, right? Little nudgings, little uh, things of our heart that can go on beautiful scenes of creation. But there's a time in our life, I think every one of our lives, where the gentle whisperings, uh, we're not paying attention. So this was a time in Saul's life where Jesus didn't just, he had been working on Saul. We'll talk more about that later. But now it's like Saul, Saul, yo, Saul. You have a, any parent have a child? Hey, Carter, Carter, <clears throat> son, I'm speaking to you. 
You need to listen. Look into my eyes. <laughs> now we can communicate. See, that's what I think what Jesus was Saul, right? By the way, communication isn't in a parenting workshop, but there's no communication if, if you're just, you think you communicated, but you didn't. Okay. Um, anyways, um, he gets his attention. And then he says, why do you persecute me? Now, I want you to think about if someone was murdering your family, what would your spirit be toward them? Would you be asking them a question about why? I think that says a lot about Jesus. A lot about Jesus. Why do you persecute me? By the way, how we treat the family of God is exactly how we treat God. Jesus didn't say, why are you persecuting the church? He said, why are you persecuting me? We are the body of Christ. We cannot claim to love God and have nothing to do with his family. You're deceived. That's a lie. First John, right? Um, how we treat one another is how we're treating Jesus himself. Why do you persecute me? Okay, verse 5. Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Can you imagine what Saul thought right that moment? Oh, snap. <laughs> I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city, and you'll be told what you must do. I love Jesus here. He wasn't like... Um, so I tell you what, why don't we think about this? We'll have a little discussion later. And I don't know, why don't you come up with what you think is best? I'll think about what I think is best, and we'll see if we can come to it. That's not how Jesus rolls. I'm the king, you're not the king. Get up, go, you'll be told what to do. Yes, sir. Do you, get up, do you start to pick up on the reverence aspect? Okay. Uh, the men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground. When he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. Do you think God is working on Saul's humility? For three days he was blind, did not eat or drink anything. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias! Now, it's interesting, Ananias is a disciple, so hopefully he's listening a little bit better. So he doesn't have to say Ananias, Ananias, he just says Ananias, and I love this, yes, Lord, <laughs> good answer. Um, the Lord said to him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. You know, the central road in Damascus today is Straight Street. In a vision, by the way, this is a historical document, the book of Acts. Historians for thousands of years has tried to poke holes in the facts of this. Never once have they been able to. In a vision, he says, so go to the Straight Street, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street, ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. So 
Jesus tell Ananias, who's a disciple, go, uh, ask, and put your hands on this guy. Okay? Now, it's interesting. Verse 13, Lord, Ananias answered, um, I don't exactly know how to say this. I, but I've actually, I, I think there's some things going on that you really don't quite know about <laughs> with this guy, Saul. So I want to fill you in. Um, I, and it's interesting how in our minds we think we know who's open and who's not and why God is telling us where to go and who to go to. Maybe we should shut our trap and just do what God says. I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. And that'd be me. I'm one of those dudes. And I'm a little afraid. You ever feel intimidated to share your faith? Maybe God's doing so much more behind the scenes than you even realize. But the Lord said to Ananias, good point. <laughs> Sorry. I'm going to try to be less sarcastic during sermons. I actually am. But the Lord said to Ananias, go. This man is my chosen instrument to carry my name before the Gentiles and their kings and before the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Ananias is like, well, I like that last part. <laughs> Are you kidding me? Actually, you're wrong, Ananias. I'm going to change this man from the inside out. And what you see on the outside is not who I, the plans I have for him. He's my chosen instrument. He's going to be crucial to the catapulting of the gospel all throughout the world for thousands of years to come. But I can relate to Ananias and how I respond. Then, I love this. Then Ananias went. Good choice, Ananias. Amen? Now, I love how Jesus wasn't mad at Ananias for us working through our fear and doubts. Jesus didn't be like, stop talking this way. He did tell him who's boss and what to do. But God loves it, I think, actually, when we're really gut-level honest with what we're walking through as we attempt to obey him. But we need to come to a, a point in all this wrestling where we just decide to obey. Amen? Um, then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up and was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and once he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. So the same temple area, the same city he was going to kill, and arrest the disciples, now he's preaching the son, Jesus as the Son of God. Can you imagine the 
Talk about filled with awe, right? And how would you feel as the disciples? I don't know if I can trust this guy, right? Okay, at once, uh, verse 21, all those who heard him were astonished. And isn't this the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Christ or the Messiah or the anointed one. After many days had gone by, the Jews conspired to kill him. But Saul learned of their plan. Day and night they kept close watch on the city gates in order to kill him. But his followers took him by night and lowered him in a basket through an opening in the wall. When he came to Jerusalem, he tried to join the disciples, but they were all afraid of him, not believing that he really was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles. He told them how Saul on his journey had seen the Lord and that the Lord had spoken to him. And how in Damascus he had preached fearlessly in the name of Jesus. So Saul stayed with them and moved about freely in Jerusalem, speaking boldly in the name of the Lord. You pick up on the pattern of when the Spirit gets in this guy? Boldness. Theme in the book of Acts. He talked and debated with the Grecian Jews, but they tried to kill him. When the brothers learned of this, they took him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. Then the church throughout Judea, Galilee, and Samaria enjoyed a time of peace. It was strengthened and encouraged by the Holy Spirit. It grew in numbers, living in the fear of the Lord. All right, let's, let me catch up here. So Ananias went, and Paul, we're going to talk more about what went on in those three days and the baptism and all that sort of thing. But then he goes to the disciples in, in uh, Damascus, and he joins with them. Instead of persecuting and arresting them, he joins them, and he loves them. And serves them. He goes to tries to go to the church in Jerusalem, but everyone's afraid of him. No one believes him. Have you ever felt rejected? Have you ever felt not accepted? Nothing like this guy, I bet, right? Um, but Barnabas comes. Barnabas, Acts chapter 4, son of encouragement, the glue. We all need an Ananias in our life to tell us the word of God. Amen? We all need a Barnabas in our life to encourage us and help us make connections with others. Um, Paul, though, the whole time, says uh, he began to preach. He grew powerful. He proved Jesus was the Christ. He preached fearlessly. He spoke boldly. He talked and debated. And the church here was strengthened, encouraged, multiplying, living in the fear of God. Let's talk for, uh, to kind of wrap this up, about three principles of conversion that will apply to all of our lives uh, throughout our Christian life, okay? Number one is reverent trembling before the Word of God. Number two is loving a loving brother in the family. And number three is a chosen instrument to the world. So first of all, reverent, reverent trembling before the Word. You know, before uh, Saul was converted, he was fighting Jesus. Jesus says it's hard to kick against the goads. What does that mean? What were the goads that he was kicking against? You know, a shepherd will goad the sheep. It's a little pointer, okay? Instead of, you know, throwing a rock at him or whatever, just a little, little, just a little poke. In, not, too, not, too, not too but painful, unless you don't listen. Actually, it's, it's not painful at all unless you start kicking against it. 
And that's when it starts to hurt. It, it, can I get a witness about our walk with God? If we listen and we obey and we're an easy study for Jesus, so to speak, not too painful. But when we start to kick against it, wanting to go our way, getting stiff-necked, that's when Jesus is like, I don't want to do this. You know, right? Ah! Well, you should pay attention next time, okay? Um, what, was, what was Saul struggling with and kicking against the goats? I think, number one, doubts. He had doubts about what he was doing. C.G. Jung, who is a psychiatrist, said this, fanaticism is only found in individuals who are compensating secret doubts. Okay? Saul was fanatic. He was going crazy. Here's a loving God. And Saul's murdering people. Okay, so at some point, this had to be like, what am I doing with my life, right? It's conscience pricking at him. Conscience starting to go crazy. And then the examples he saw of Jesus. We don't know for sure if he was around Jesus, but many theologians feel like he probably had to be around Jesus. Similar age, growing up around similar circles, as far as the temple and the Pharisees and that sort of thing. So the example he saw in Jesus, the example he saw in Peter and John, remember it says that they took note that these men had been with Jesus. The, for sure, we know the example he saw in Stephen. So here he's murdering, trying to murder disciples, and yet they're responding so much not like him, but like Jesus. And after a while, these examples start to prick his conscience and his doubts. So, kicking against the goads, reverent trembling for the word, um, he had to see himself clearly and see Jesus clearly. When we say, see, it's very easy to blow off the word of God. But God gets our attention enough to be like, you know what, I actually better really study this a little Closer, And as we study the Word of God, we start to see ourselves more clearly, and we start to see God more clearly. You with me there? Let me share some of the things that I started to see. First of all, I had to see that I was wrong. I am wrong about the way I'm living my life. The things I believed were true. I had to, I had to come to, as I studied the Scriptures, you know what? I don't necessarily see what I was taught in the scriptures. And I'm tested right at that moment. Can I say that, you know what, part of what I believe may not be totally true. And if you can't say I was wrong, you don't have a reverence before the scriptures. We've got to be able to say, you know what, I was wrong. You know, sitting amongst us today is a dear sister, Kathy Condon. Kathy, you want to wave? Kathy's right there. Kathy is the mom of Jill Sicarla, who is in our sister church in Des Moines and was in Madison. Many of us know the Sicarlas because they're from here. Uh, and Kathy came to one of our first services in our house when we planted the church. And she came to the same Bible study that Heather came to that Christy led called Desperate Housewives of the Bible. Okay? Remember that, Heather? Remember Kathy being there? And Kathy has just loved it and has been a strong supporter of, of our church. She's helped us out in a great way. Uh, and she comes back. And, I, 
And we started studying the Bible with Kathy probably about 10 years ago. And Kathy came from a very uh, staunch background. I won't say what it was, but just she was, in a way, she had her, she had her religion on just fine. Thank you very much. Okay? Now, that wasn't her spirit toward us. Um, but the Word of God was sown. Amen? Well, Kathy came up to me and Christy this morning. She said, I just want to let you guys know, last week I was baptized into Christ. Amen, amen. amen. And her daughter Jill and Jason baptized her in Des Moines on Easter Sunday. Talk about a participation in the resurrection. Right? But at some point along the way, Kathy, who is an incredibly intelligent woman, business owner, extremely successful person, had to say, you know what? I'm seeing some new things here. And maybe in the past, I, wasn't, I didn't have it all down. Paul had to say, I was wrong about Jesus. The Pharisees, Gamaliel, my career, maybe I'm wrong. And, but Jesus, when we say we're wrong, Jesus says, I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. Paul had, to, Paul had to see that, wait a second, I'm lost. If Jesus is the Messiah, that means I'm not right with him. I'm lost. But when we say I'm lost, Jesus says, I'm seeking and I'm saving you. I am the Lamb of God. When we, can we say, when we start to see ourselves, we start to get honest, we're going to start to see guilt. Can we say, I'm guilty? And I feel ashamed, right? But Jesus says, I am the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Come to me. Don't let the guilt hold you back and the shame. What about Paul as he thought of Stephen and what he approved of? Remember this three days of wrestling. What was he wrestling with? What is Gamaliel going to think? My, my father in the faith, so to speak. Um, what about Stephen's family? How can I face them? I oversaw the death of their dad. How can I go to those kids and talk to them? What about I'm so ashamed of my anger, my rage. I don't trust myself. Um, and, then, and then as we see ourselves, we see our fears. I'm afraid. But Jesus says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. What am I going to do about my job? If, if I believe in Jesus, I'm going to get fired. Okay, how about my family and friends? They're going to think I'm crazy. How about Gamelia, so disappointed? How can I go back to these families and apologize? How what if the church doesn't accept me? I'm so afraid, God. What should I do? And God says, I got you. I got you. Just follow me. And he got up, and he had a radical response. At some point, the wrestling needed to end, and Ananias had to say, Paul, if you're lost and you're guilty and you're outside of Christ, you don't know if you'll have tomorrow. And you, I'm not going to mince my words. you got a lot of wrath coming here, my friend. you got a lot of wrath of God coming your way. Justly so. So what if today is the day of judgment? And the wrestling had to stop and had to come to a conclusion with a radical response of repentance, faith, and baptism. Amen? We learned in Acts 2 that baptism absolutely is a part of conversion. It's absolutely a part of conversion. If you don't understand that, then please study the Scriptures um, because it's actually abundantly clear.
What are you waiting for? What are we waiting for? Because I need to end this sermon. Okay. He was, went from being a murderous to a loving brother in the family. Thank you. Thank goodness for Ananias who went to him and says, Brother Saul, Brother Saul. Thank goodness for Barnabas to pull together. You know what? I know you're afraid of this guy. Come on, let's just get together and talk. Well, they don't, they don't accept me. I know, but you can kind of understand, right? <laughs> you know what? Let's get together and talk. Hey, guys, let's just sit in a circle. Guys, how are we doing? Can you imagine that talk? How about that for a discipleship group? Huh? That's a good talk right there. Can you imagine the tears flowing as they're reconciled, as their forgiveness and repentance becoming clear? Oh, so good. And then lastly, he says he is a chosen instrument. So um, true conversion involves, uh, number one, a reverent attitude toward the Word of God. Then a loving, instead of apathetic family toward the family, attitude toward the family of God. And then believing that you are a chosen instrument to the world. Can you, let's just break that down. You know, I actually got asked a couple weeks ago for my sermons to go longer. So I'm going to help this person out. Chosen. Paul was chosen. What was God thinking when he chose a murderous, ravaging beast? Maybe it reveals that God's thoughts are different than our thoughts when it comes to who actually is qualified to carry the gospel. Maybe it's not the holier than thou's amongst us. Maybe it's the chief of sinners amongst us. You're a chosen instrument. An instrument is complicated. You know, like the French horns, got all these tubes and things, and, you know, all these instruments are complicated. Say, so, you know what, I'm too complicated to actually have much of an impact on the world. Maybe it's your complications that actually God will work through to have an impact on the world. Amen? Um, 1 Timothy 1, verse 12 through 17. Go read it by yourself. But Paul's basically explaining, man, it's the depth of my sins Help me get in touch with the depth of God's grace, which is the message of Jesus. The world no longer, I, we come to a point when we're converted where I no longer need the world and its message to me. The world needs me and my message to it. Looking for the approval of the world shows still immaturity in our walk with God. The world is messed up. Why do we want them to approve of us? Maybe the world is looking for someone to not be so messed up. Amen? Yeah. And, it's, and we give our message strongly to it in an unashamed and unhindered way. Believing, guys, I believe that every one of us can be a chosen instrument of God. Amen? Every one of us. And the people that we reach out to. Little did we know that 10 years ago as we sat down with Kathy Condon, I remember sitting with her at the mall and studying. Little did I know that 10 years later, she was going to come up to me and say, you know, I got baptized last week, but what will God do through this chosen instrument of his? Amen? If God can use someone as lame as me, he can use someone as lame as you. <laughs> That's what Paul's message was. Okay, let's, let, actually, we are going to end now. 
Guys, I, I know, right? That's so sweet of you. Um, guys, false and partial conversions are not conversions. True and full and complete conversions. Many of us may be hearing this and we may feel like, I'm not converted. I've not been converted yet. I may have had a set of prayer. I may have had a belief or I may have had an infant baptism. But that's not true conversion in the scriptures. And if that is new to you, then I beg of you to please get with the person who brought you. Go through this little booklet. This lays out exactly what we're talking about. The first principles. The foundational principles of faith, repentance, discipleship, baptism, the cross, Jesus, seeking God. Um, You will not regret it. If you have been truly conversion, are you in need of a reconversion? Uh, apply the same principles. Amen? Amen? If you feel like you've been too complicated for Jesus to use as an instrument of His, let Saul's conversion in Jesus' proclamation that this man is my chosen instrument to change the history of the world. If, that, if Jesus can use Saul, He absolutely can use you and I, amen? And let's be confident in our belief in that.